We'll begin this evening's talk with a question. Uh, A question that I asked towards the end of the uh, last evening Dhamma talk that I gave. The one about the first foundation of mindfulness. Am I looking in the right place and in the right way for the happiness that I'm seeking? The second establishment or domain of mindfulness is mindfulness of feelings. This foundation or domain of mindfulness is potentially a particularly illuminating aspect of our practice towards directing our natural inclination for happiness to the right place and in the right way. Every experience that comes through each of the sense doors, seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, and thought, provides some specific information to the mind. And there are particular feelings that occur through the contact of the sense doors with all of the various phenomena that we experience. From the perspective of the Buddha Dhamma, these feelings are very simply and very clearly classified into three groups. Pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling, and neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling, neutral feeling. These feelings or feeling tones arise in response to either all physical and mental or mental stimuli. Attachment, emotional attachment, or aversion to sense world experience is the result that follows along from these these feelings. For instance, if one experiences a pleasant feeling in relationship to some physical or mental contact with some object, for most people there's an almost immediate emotional attachment to the feeling or to the object or to both. And when the pleasant feeling subsides, which of course it always does, the desire to get it back or to get another one comes up often quite quickly and either quite overtly or sometimes very subtly. A craving for arises with craving either being immediately preceded by and are very quickly followed by some state or sense degree of dissatisfaction. And so our peace, our pleasant feeling, our pleasant abiding, our sense of well-being is disturbed. The nature of dissatisfaction is agitation, a kind of restlessness, an inner restlessness, stress. The experience of craving 
is a kind of burning contraction. Again, stress. When we experience unpleasant feeling in relationship to some physical or mental object, most of us immediately experience some degree of an emotional dislike or some form of aversion. Maybe fear or boredom, maybe hatred or anger or disappointment. We want to get rid of or we want to get away from the object or the feeling or both. And so again, our, our mental peace is disturbed. So again, we're experiencing stress. Seems like there's a lot of stress in this life coming directly from the way, this way of being, this way of relating to our life. When the feeling is neither pleasant nor unpleasant, what's called neutral, often the tendency is actually to ignore what's going on, not connecting with the present moment's experience. And maybe there's an accompaniment uh, with a subtle or not so state, a subtle or not so subtle state of mind of wanting, not wanting to see reality in that moment. I think that I can safely say that most of us are intense experience junkies. If it's intense, we're likely to pay attention whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. If it's not intense, I think very often we just don't even notice. It's as though nothing's happening. You know, sometimes when I speak uh, on the phone to uh, one of particular of my sons and I say, what's happening? What's happened today? He most often says nothing. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happened. So then we talk, and of course, many things have happened. But they weren't intense enough that day to really call his attention. And so again, we're craving something, or experiencing aversion, or or boredom, or all of that. Without intimate and careful attention to feelings, they have the potential to disturb us emotionally. They have the potential to make us suffer, either subtly or quite overtly. An amazing thing about these feelings is that we often forget that they change the very same object that produced pleasant feelings in our mind within moments sometimes can produce unpleasant feelings in the mind and of course vice versa so again we experience attachment clinging and various states of aversion forgetting is the opposite of remembering remembering 
the connection that mindfulness offers. The connection that mindfulness offers to see things just as they are. Quite a number of years ago now, um, when I was sitting a three-month retreat at the Insight Meditation Society, some others of you have, and in the back room behind the uh, large dining room, there are some shelves up along the wall where the uh, yogis, the people on retreat, can stash some of their special needs or things that they think they need, special needs. So on my little stash, on top of my little stash one day, there was a note uh, left for me from the person who had uh, a stash next to mine. And I had never noticed who this person was. I didn't know, know what this person looked like at all. The note was offering me some green tea from his stash. And a very pleasant feeling uh, being noticed uh, in being offered a gift for me uh, came up and I responded to his note thanked him and had some tea not long after this a second note appeared on my stash offering me a hat (laughs) he had noticed me going outside uh, without one and it was beginning to kind of cool off outside there in the fall in New England Well, it was not such a pleasant feeling in my mind when I read that note. I felt impinged upon. I didn't like the attention. But I answered the note politely and told him I had a hat. Thank you. Then a third note came not long after that. And it was a question about practice. A most decidedly unpleasant feeling in the mind with reading that note and a very quick unmindful reaction in the mind to write back a not so polite note that time but fortunately uh, wise, uh, wise discernment mindfulness and wise discernment kicked in and I didn't write back a nasty note I just simply relaxed let go and didn't respond at all And at that point, the notes stopped coming. At the end of the retreat, I spoke with this person. And he said he had gone, actually gone through a similar process and was very grateful after going through some of his own internal turmoil that I didn't answer him that last time. He was happy himself not to be writing any more notes. I think that all of you would probably agree that when we feel pleasant or unpleasant as a result of contact with some sense object, the pleasant and unpleasant feeling isn't in the external object or within the internal object of our attention, such as a bodily sensation. The feeling is in the mind. So why do we feel this way? In my uh, three-month story that I just uh, just, uh, shared with you, the feeling and the subsequent action 
of answering the first and second note and the reaction in my mind uh, with the third note were those those uh, responses and reaction and the reaction were clearly coming from a place of self a place of me when we begin to see that all of the feelings that we experience are within us that we ourselves are really mainly responsible for the feelings that we experience we begin to know that we really can't blame others for the way we feel what for i think many of us are habituated storylines such as he made me angry or she made me feel terrible or he made me feel so happy or this place and these people make me feel so peaceful or or so miserable as we begin to pay a careful attention to the feelings that arise the habituated storylines actually begin to lose their strength they begin to fall apart in the light of seeing things clearly putting blame on others for our feelings actually isn't realistic it's not the way things really work the potentially illuminating aspect of practice in relationship to cultivating a careful attention to the feeling is that it's at this point in our experience that we have the direct immediate opportunity to drop our habituated reactions of attachment clinging and the various permutations of aversion it's at this point in our experience of noticing feelings of pleasant and unpleasant or the feeling of neither pleasant nor unpleasant that we can in moments just see the phenomena know the attendant feelings and that just be that in that moment there's no mental suffering the heart the mind aren't disturbed it's a moment of ease it's a moment of peace feelings are particularly important mental factors in developing insight into the cause of suffering because these feelings are what condition our mind to hold on to the pleasant and to push away or avoid or ignore the unpleasant learning to mindfully observe feelings with more balance with more equanimity and thus less attachment less aversion and less identification is an important and very helpful door to open on our way out of suffering so this second establishment or this second domain of mindfulness in our practice contemplation of the feelings simply in themselves the feelings in the feelings an amazing aspect of mindfulness is that it has the capacity to connect directly and simply 
with what we call the bare awareness of our experience. With the experience that experiences that come in through the six sense doors very immediately, directly, and simply being known. Sometimes we may experience just this. But at times, and maybe quite often, the direct and simple knowing of phenomena may almost immediately be colored or modified by various mental factors, various states of mind. And this being the third domain or the third foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of the mind. And in Pali, it's citta nupasana. Mindfulness of the various mental factors or states of mind that arise in relation to experience. So, for example, we go to the marketplace. The marketplace of the lunch food display. The marketplace of where to do walking meditation this hour or the marketplace of which shirt or which pair of pants to put on today. Here in Taos, uh, many people visit this place specifically to come to the marketplace. Beauty abounds here. And I myself have sometimes walk down the street here in Taos looking at the uh, display uh, in the shop windows of many beautiful handcrafted objects and watched my body and watched my mind. So there might be seeing, just seeing, forms, colors, bear attention and then noticing the coloration in the mind of wanting of kind of leaning into and sometimes the strong desire of seeming needing so greed coloring a moment's experience of seeing with the possibility of just simply seeing and appreciating a good practice in the middle of the marketplace, any marketplace. There's a story that I've heard about the Dalai Lama who was taken uh, window shopping in some big city in an area where there were lots of little shops that had all kinds of small mechanical parts and systems uh, in the display, the window displays. And the person who took the Dalai Lama um, to this part of the city knew that he was quite particularly uh, interested and fascinated by the mechanical workings of things. For instance, as some of you may know, it's uh, been a public knowledge that he loves to take apart and work on and then uh, put back together watches. The Dalai Lama said uh, when he was taken, uh, kindly taken to this part of the city with all these shops he said that he found himself looking in the windows 
of the shops and at first simply seeing with an open curiosity and interest. And then he said all of a sudden he realized that he wanted everything. He wanted all of it. And he said, I didn't even know what it was for. I just wanted it all. Maybe a familiar experience for some of you. Are you mindful of your mind? You might ask yourself, how driven am I by my desires? And the marketplace of our inner world of meditation. A moment of deep calm. A mindful no- moment of directly knowing this calm. No thought about it. Just it as it is. Just calm. Just tranquility. And then maybe quickly followed by grasping wanting it to never leave. Directly knowing this experience too. Knowing this experience of wanting without judgment. Mindfulness can know the mental factor or the coloration in the mind of wanting, of greed, within the greed itself or the mental factor, the colorations of anger, or hatred, or fear, or delusion. Any state of mind can be known within itself. How it acts, its changing flavors, and its cessation. A moment of consciousness might be colored by faith or by delight or by dullness or some form of aversion. And as I'm sure you've experienced at times, each of these mental factors, these colorations, may arise in relationship to bare awareness of any given experience, such as a breath or a bodily sensation a sound, a taste, a memory, a plan, an image in the mind. In the Abhidhamma, which is a very clear treatise on Buddhist psychology, there's a quite a long and very detailed list of the many and various mental factors that may come quickly along to accompany and color bear awareness bear awareness of any present moment's experience this degree of perception distinction and naming in such minute detail of each of these states of mind really isn't necessary for us here it's really quite enough for us to be aware of the more ordinary or usually experienced colorations of any given moment of consciousness as they arise, quickly change, and cease. For instance, 
mindful knowing delight, calm, joy, faith, or liking, dislike, judgment, disappointment, clinging, attachment, fear, or anger, or hatred, irritation, or appreciation. In relationship to the bare awareness of the experiences of seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, thinking. And again, just a reminder. The essential nature of mindfulness is that there's no attitude of judging, no attitude of discriminating between right and wrong, good or bad. It's just this in this moment, whatever it is, however it is. Within mindfulness itself, there's no grasping, no rejecting, and no manipulation of experience. So the third establishment of mindfulness, mindfulness of the mind. Mindful awareness of mental factors, states of mind. Seeing and knowing the colorations of consciousness in themselves. The last aspect of mindfulness that the Buddha points us to is called mindfulness of or contemplation of dhammas. Dhamma in this case can be translated as the truth or the way of things or the natural laws. This domain of mindful awareness can be grounded specifically in any of the six sense doors. Hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, seeing, or thinking. This fourth establishment of mindful awareness, contemplation of dhammas, may also be grounded in the five hindrances. Sleepiness, restlessness, agitation, doubt, or the grasping or the aversive mind. The particular wonderful specialty, so to say, of this fourth domain of mindfulness is that it sees any of the experiences, any of these experiences through the six sense doors or uh, the five hindrances, he sees any of these experiences through the doors of Dhamma, through the doors of the way of things through the doors of the nature of things. Whether experiences in the physical or the mental realm, this fourth domain of mindfulness sees and knows experience through the doors of the truth. So for instance, speaking briefly this evening about just one of the very important and insightful doors that we can walk through in this fourth domain of mindfulness. And this is the doorway of what are called the three universal characteristics 
that all experiences of body and mind are imbued with. In this fourth domain of mindfulness, we can directly, experientially pay attention to and recognize that every experience of body and mind is always changing, is impermanent. Each and every phenomena of body and mind, as well as everything around us, ends, disappears. There are hundreds, thousands, millions of little endings deaths, moment to moment to moment, breath by breath. As practice deepens and matures, it gets easier and easier to open to, clearly see, and accept and surrender to this perfectly natural phenomena. Change, impermanence. What appears to be a steady flow of experience, even the presence of consciousness itself is not as we ordinarily perceive it to be. The reality of body-mind experience can be likened to the separate frames of a film. The illusion, the delusion, being that as though it's happening with an ongoing continuous flow. When in reality, it's all beginning and ending, arising and passing away on the most minute level, second by second by second. And this is from the Buddha. Bhikkhus, yogis, I will teach you the way that is suitable for attaining Nibbana. Listen to that. And what yogis is the way that is suitable to attaining Nibbana? Here a yogi sees the eye as impermanent, sees forms as impermanent, sees eye contact as impermanent, sees whatever feelings arise with eye contact as the condition, whether pleasant or painful as impermanent. She sees the ear as impermanent, sees the mind, mental phenomena as impermanent, sees mind, consciousness as impermanent, and sees mind contact, and whatever feelings arise with mind contact as the object, whether pleasant or unpleasant, as impermanent. This yogis is the way that is suitable for attaining Nibbana. Every experience is anicca, which is the first universal characteristic. One of the doors that we can walk through with this fourth foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of dhammas, mindfulness of the truth, the way of things. And because of anicca, impermanence, no experience that comes, uh, comes in through the six sense doors is ultimately 
or permanently satisfying. And so we continue on through our lifetime, searching for something or some experience that will finally, finally satisfy, finally make us happy. This unsatisfactoriness and the endless search is what the Buddha called dukkha. And this is the second universal characteristic. The last of the three characteristics that we may come to know within this fourth domain of mindfulness is anatta. The truth that all experience, all phenomena is selfless, is totally interdependent, is totally contingent in its existence both within its own seeming solidity as well as in its seeming set or static place in this world, in this universe. As we begin to directly experience and know anicca, impermanence, and dukkha, unsatisfactoriness. This third universal characteristic of anatta, selflessness or no-self, begins to reveal itself directly through our practice of mindful awareness. The no-self or emptiness of all experience, of all phenomena, shows up quite naturally and often in unexpected and some often very subtle ways. And so we begin to understand that no matter how hard we try, there's absolutely nothing that can be clung to. And our relationship begins, our relationship to life begins to change. We begin to relax into just simply and clearly being here with things just as they are. I'd like to share a wonderful metaphorical teaching, um, the Narcissus story as rendered by Stephen Mitchell in, uh, in continuing to explore this, this door of truth. It was not the image of his own face that transfixed him as he bent down over the pool. He had seen that face often before, in mirrors, in a thousand photographs, in women's eyes. It was an undistinguished face, but handsome enough, with its long eyelashes, full lips, and stately nose sloping to a curious plateau near the tip. No, it was something else now that rooted him to the spot. Kneeling there, gazing into the so-taken-for-granted form, he grew more and more poignantly aware that it was mere surface. When the water was calm, it was calm. When the water rippled at the touch of a leaf or a fish, it too rippled or broke apart when he churned the water with his hand. 
More and more fascinated, he kept staring through the image of his face into the depths beneath, filled with a multitude of other moving, shadowy forms. He knew that if he stayed there long and patiently enough, he would be able to see straight through to the bottom. And at that moment, he knew the image would disappear. In a conversation with one of his students, the Buddha offered an important and very clear teaching about anicca, anatta, and liberation. And this is what he told his students. Contemplation of impermanence should be cultivated for dispelling the conceit, I am. For when one perceives impermanence, Megiya, the perception of not-self is established. With the perception of not-self, the conceit, I am, is eliminated. And that is Nibbana, here and now. And so as we go along in our practice, and when we're ready, this fourth domain of mindfulness, mindfulness of dhammas, opens us, opens up the beautiful door to freedom, the simple and beautiful door to liberation. From this perspective, we could say that every single experience, every single phenomena holds the dhamma holds the truth. The Dhamma, the true nature of things, the way of things, is within everything. Simply here to be seen and to be known. If we just take the time to experience our experience intimately and directly, if we just take the time to really look carefully, The truth is right here for us to see directly through every sense door, through every so-called hindrance, through every experience of body, mind, and heart, and within each and all phenomena that's happening everywhere around us. In some Buddhist schools, it's spoken of as within samsara is nibbana or nirvana. Within the whirlpool of our ordinary lives, within the whirlpool of samsara, if we stand still, cool, calm, focused, mindfully attentive, in that moment, we're no longer conditioned by ignorance. We're no longer conditioned by ignoring. And being caught then, in the whirlpool of pleasant and unpleasant. I like it, I don't like it. No longer caught unaware in the whirl of one thing leading to another. No longer caught in 
continually, unwittingly moving around and around and around the wheel. In the midst of samsara, we can stop and pay an extraordinary kind of attention, a mindful attention, and wake up. Mindfulness is the tool, the medicine for our awakening. And as it was so graphically talked about during the time of the Buddha, we take the medicine and purify the sickness and heal ourselves. And maybe just for moments at a time, as this process unfolds, we're free. We have the possibility to live with the deepest ease of well-being, the deepest wisdom, the deepest compassion, to be truly awake and free, truly healed in this life. We have the possibility of wandering into the natural state of the equipoise of an undisturbed mind. The world outside going on just as it is. Thoughts and feelings arising and changing, coming and going, no different than anything else in this world. Nothing to argue with. Nothing to cling to. In closing this talk, I ask the same question that we began with this evening. Am I looking in the right place and in the right way for the happiness that I'm seeking? And the Buddha responds with these words to that question. If the enlightenment factor of mindfulness is present in herself or himself, a bhikkhu knows that it is present. We're all bhikkhus when we're practicing, by the way. If the enlightenment factor of mindfulness is absent in a bhikkhu or a yogi, knows that it is absent in himself or herself, then the yogi knows it is absent in himself or herself. And she or he knows how the unarisen factor of mindfulness comes to arise and knows how the development of the enlightenment factor of mindfulness comes about. Rooted in careful attention, careful attention is declared to be the chief. Accomplished in careful attention, with a mind that has developed the enlightenment factor of mindfulness and discernment. One penetrates and sunders the mass of greed that she or he has never before penetrated and sundered. The mass of hatred that she or he has never before penetrated and sundered, the mass of delusion that she or he has never before penetrated and sundered. Yogis, just as all the rafters of a peaked house slant, slope, and incline toward the roof peak, so too 
when a yogi, a bhikkhu, develops and cultivates mindfulness and discernment and all the other factors of enlightenment, she, he, slants, slopes, and inclines towards Nibbana. And let's just sit for a couple of moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.